Watch this. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Bruce Fitzpatrick. Good day or good evening. And Sir Sam Williams. How are we doing, gentlemen? Ages since we've potted together. Absolutely bloody ages. Yeah, it has been It has been a while. Well, we were going to get together, weren't we, last week and do a little podcast, but... Uh, your house move, Tom. And by the way, if you want to uh, hear more about Tom's house move, spoiler alert for the Church Stratton Course Diaries podcast coming up very soon. Um, but obviously, sandwiched between Raw North Devon and you going to Spain as well, Bruce, it's been a little bit hectic on the golfing front. Silly it season has. is here. We've been getting out, playing a bit. It's a wonderful time of year to play golf, isn't it? As the sort of, I mean, are we strictly in autumn? Probably summer, I guess. Someone's I think we're actually into that. autumn shocking, now. But- yeah, we're edging into autumn. It's, it's it certainly feels like autumn. Busy period. Um, how was Spain? Spain was very good fun. Thanks. Um, yeah, played a little bit of golf uh, in the south of Spain, so that was that was uh, enjoyable. We need to do a course diaries podcast, which will be inbound shortly on um, Royal North Devon. Of course, we don't want to overlook that the cradle of English golf. Much to dissect and discuss there. Yeah, very good. And I did spot you posted a little picture of yourself in spain bruce and then the dms were alight and obviously i'm man marking the social media people are asking me was it last brisas i had absolutely no idea so i just ignored the messages yeah that was the course played on um on saturday yeah that's played, in rob uh, mcgurk's eclectic 18 what's it like oh um which hole is in rob mcgurk's I can't, eclectic... that's a really good question wasn't it the 18th no it definitely wasn't the 18th i'll tell you right now it might be the 12th Look at it. He's just got it to hand. You know, he can just pull it up. He's just he, he's such a consummate professional with all these things. He's like, I tell you now, no problem at all. Well, the the great thing is, you know, I I put them in the I put them in the chap in the in the episode notes. It's the eighth. I thought it was around seven or eight. It's the eighth. eight. Yeah. Uh, risk and reward par five. Classic sort of heroic golf hole with water in front of the green. Much like the twelfth there. I think I think there is actually something to be said about. Um, golf in the mediterranean region because i mean friend of the pod malcolm duck called it sort of gin and tonic, gin and tonic golf, golf. <laughs> yeah and i think you know by and large um i i don't know if that really captures it i think there's a lot of heroic golf out there there's quite you know you know how um sad and obsessive harry and i can be about you know playing off back tees and playing with slope rating and and seeing you know how difficult the courses are out there, and and actually slaying like on the to you, Bruce. <laughs> the courses out there um, <laughs> are yeah very very highly rated on on slope because there is just so much water and there's so much architecture in the kind of mould of of heroic golf. Really, um, I don't know. It's it, for me personally. I, I don't think many of the courses out there. Um, have the same kind of charm and, and architectural appeal as a lot of courses in, um, in, in the United Kingdom, but that's not to say they're not great and good fun to play on their own merit. I just think that, yeah, there's, there's maybe less variety. Um, yeah. In Spain, in Spanish and Portuguese golf, but I would be 
happy to be proven wrong there. If anyone's got any recommendations of some some great courses to go out and play, um, we were fortunate enough to play for a couple of days at, at Valorama, which I think is is a really quite unique course. Um, that's probably quite different to you know the mold that I mentioned just there because that is um, much more sort of tree line. The obvious, the obviously the infamous cork trees, small greens. Um, not an overabundance of water there makes it uh, makes it slightly different. But yeah, I think I mean you've played a little bit of golf out in, in Portugal, haven't you, Sam and Tom? You've you, you've played there too. I, I'd seem to remember. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. It's a little bit, little bit kind of similar similar brand throughout, isn't yeah. it? I mean, there'll be some little. The problem is you tend to fly into these big big kind of resorts slash destinations, don't you? So that's where they tend to stick the you know the kind of more you know newly built courses, water sodden, like you say, a little bit longer championship tests. I dare say, if you really went off the beaten track in Spain, and you know, I'd love to get out and play Pedrena. I'd love to go and see some of the some of the charming places that sit up in the hillsides and stuff because mm. they've got to be there in abundance. But anyway, that's not the reason we're here, gentlemen. No, we want to do a little recap on the on the goings on in the world of golf. Lord knows there's plenty of it at the moment. I don't even know how we start to to uh, to kind of get our way through this, but. It feels like so much. There's the, the, obviously the whole thing around Live. We've just come off the back of the DJ's inaugural Live victory. Um, yeah. Which you know, I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think they could have they couldn't have bought a better um, finale to, to to the event if they'd tried. And it seemed to pass without kind of too much note. I don't know if you noticed, but you know, DJ winning with an eagle on the first playoff hole was just um, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's arguably great TV. If that was if that was PGA Tour, mm. that would have been that would have been one of the highlights of the season. It's actually kind of passed with that too much affair. Have you noticed? Yeah, and this is definitely a theme we need to um, pick up on. And maybe it's not worth going down the rabbit hole now, but it seems like um, mainstream golf media outlets have made a stand in terms of not, particularly on on you know the, the usual suspects in terms of social media channels, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, they're not giving it anywhere near as much oxygen as they used to. It's like, no, no, you know, one little post DJs won four and a half million and that's it. Um, it's remarkable, isn't it? Whereas yeah. and it, the thing is, it is the biggest story in the game right now. There's no getting away from it. You know, live the developments in the PGA tour. It's the biggest story, but it's almost like it's become like an embargo topic. Have you noticed? Yeah, like the, the yeah, only way you can that talk hardened, yeah. that hardened Twitterverse that just, you know, I wouldn't watch, I wouldn't watch live if you know, if my life depended on it. And it's they're just, it's so people are so worked up on, you know, the source of the funds and whether or not it's ethical to watch it and if the players are sold out. But the, I think the mainstream media have died off a little bit in terms of how aggressive they've been towards it. Although you've got a few that are still tr really trying to bang the drum against it. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that are, I think as it progresses, I mean, it doesn't appear like it's getting tons of views. Like the views on the YouTube live aren't phenomenal, but like, I don't really know how, how that compares to the PGA tour. 70,000 views. It, it's not, that it's not phenomenal. It's abject. I mean, like, just by any measure, that's just terrible, really. 70,000 yeah. views on YouTube. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not digging watching it. I haven't been watching it being like, you know, edge of the seat stuff. And I don't know why. It's not because the tournament, it, because of the tournament, it's not because I have any particular views against it. Um, 
there is some sort of atmosphere when Matt Wolf slam dunked his his, his t shirt on the par three and had you know they're all howling like wolves. It was all a bit you know bizarre. There is that some <laughs> atmosphere, but like I'm, I just I cannot explain why, but I just can't watch it for more than twenty minutes without being bored. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's that that's the weirdest thing with this, isn't it? You know, I've I've kind of criticised the first couple of events because it has just been like exhibition golf. It's like there's nothing to see. You're watching them kind of meander around for three rounds. I think the broadcast is like littered with this sort of backslapping culture about, you know, welcome to live, you know, as soon as someone hits it within 10 feet of the flag, which is a bit nauseating. But the, the tournaments haven't delivered. You could argue, though, last weekend it really did deliver and it was a great tournament. But like you say... No one really got up for it. It's it's a really strange one. But obviously, that's coming off the back of a huge amount of player announcements. Yeah. You know, I think that's worth us talking through in a little bit. You know, obviously, the players that came across, I think, you know, maybe some of the, some of the ones that didn't come. Yeah. So let's yeah. kind of walk so, it so, back. So let's walk it back to, I think, we've not really covered it in great detail since the 150th open um that concluded on the 17th of july i think it's fair to say we were aware on the ground that there were murmurings and it, in, indeed it was brought up in cam smith's post championship presser that he was going to go to live the following day yeah which he obviously didn't and then that was subsequently amended to say well there's murmurings that he wants to play in the, the fedex cup playoffs he might want to play president's cup a lot of speculation, but it felt like the 150th Open was a bit of a turning point because you had Martin Slumbers, Chief Executive of the RNA, coming out and giving quite a um, sort of art well-articulated, passionate defence of the sort of status quo, along with Tiger as well, who for ages had remained pretty quiet on the topic, but gave probably his longest um, and most considered um announcement of the of live and the format what it stood for what it meant for younger players and since then it's just kind of picked up pace really it felt like the 150th open was like you know um the battle cry really and and since then it's just gotten more and more um acrimonious between the two sides yeah and like the pga tour just just kind of you know, reflecting on the last few weeks of almost, you know, rather than do anything to build bridges towards, because what you've, what you've now got this situation is where the international players are fleeing en masse, heading out to go and play this, you know, kind of a, you know, a strip backs um, kind of series of commitments, different events going into live, right? It's not really that attractive to, to the vast majority of the PGA players. Okay. You've got people like Patrick Reader going, et cetera, but yeah, by and large, it's more attractive to international um, golfers. And then you've got the PGA Tour that seems to have gone the opposite direction and basically just gone, yeah, I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to make this almost an exclusively PGA Tour um, kind of US brand. Um, they've done everything they can, I would say, to not kind of play to the, the stuff that Liv are looking at beyond kind of increasing purses. You know, all the elevated events, you know, Monaghan's come out and said, don't think the Scottish is he's, he's basically refused to confirm whether the Scottish will be one of those elevated events. It kind of looks like it's just going to be used to alternate across. I the thought Monaghan had come out and, and confirmed the Scottish. I thought the Scottish I was confirmed. I think he said it'll alternate. So I think, you know, there's obviously this commitment to, is it 20 elevated purses throughout the year? Or sit or 12 elevated. Well, purses that was interesting in, a, in and of itself. Did you hear John Rahm's comments on this? 
No. So Ram was like <clears throat> spitting feathers about it because he found out during an interview with him as he was like in a presser and they were like, oh, so you got to play 20 events and you've, you've committed to that. And he was like, well, I haven't committed to it. Have I got to? They're like, yeah, you, you've got to. It's the whatever it works out as the four majors, the players and 14 other whatever. But then obviously the Europeans that are still on um, on the PGA Tour, like Rory, Ram, Fitzpatrick, Hovland, um, Hatton, Lowry, they've mm. still got to play a, a certain amount for the DP World Tour to qualify for the Ryder Cup. So they will suddenly have a, an, a, a fixture list, which is like almost yeah, it's never going to save them any golf is it it's not going to i don't think any of this is going to actually result in significantly less golf for these players no, no, he wasn't talking about it saving them many golf but he was like i can't physically commit to the, that many because because i've got to i've got to go and play the, the dp world tour as well because i've got to get my Ryder cup status so he was suggesting that something or basically was suggesting you need to go ask rory because rory will give you the answer but whether mm. the dp world tour qualification process um, will have to change so they don't have to go qualify in Europe with the DP World Tour or whether they won't have to commit to the 20 events in the PGA. But it, obviously it's all so fresh. Like they're just, from, you know, 90% winging it really. Well, yeah, but I, I think the, the, the DP Ryder Cup requirement, that, that needs to be, that'll be ironed out um, later, I, I feel. You know, the... The 20 event minimum is the story here because for many years, you know, the, the, the 15 um, tournament requirement on the PGA Tour was the sort of yardstick, as it were. And, and whenever Liv came along and said, well, we're only going to require our players to, to play in 14, that was the refrain of the defenders of the PGA Tour as well. It was only a 15 event requirement. That's now been boosted to 20. But you have this weird sort of bifurcation almost with 12 of those 20 events being elevated events uh, and that's Century Tournament of Champions, the Genesis, Arnold Palmer, there's WGC, Dell Match Play, I think the Memorials won, yeah. um, the BMW Tour Championship again, I mean that's just sort of by the by, there's not really much cha change there. In essence they're just kind of formalizing that the events yeah. which people already consider to be the most important are in fact going to be the most important and compensated that way financially but this requirement that they're going to get the top players together at those events is is the key difference i think because they're saying that well again i'm not even sure it's that different but they're doing it they through pit rankings anyway. aren't they yeah but they the thing is they're doing anyway. it through pit rankings so i mean this is this is the strange thing with this it has become you know, there's always been this discussion that the PGA Tour is meritocratic. You know, the, you get into a field on a Monday through through Q School or whatever. You kind of, you turn up to Monday qualifier. You can find yourself in the event on Thursday. You make the cut. You can go home with some money. Now these elevated events are going to be closed off. They're going to be really ring fence for the elite players. Those elite players are going to be determined by media mentions, Google search, all those kind of things. You know, how much they resonate with the fan base. So all the ones that aren't within that elevated kind of, you know, aren't, aren't elevated events as such where they're playing for $20 million, stuff like the Shriners, whatever, they're going to be, you know, I hate to say it, but they're also ran events. They kind of are already, like, you know, which events are going to be worth tuning in for. But 
it's it's a really strange one. You've almost prohibited a large number of players there from playing in any of these elevated events. Um, Sorry, you have the PIP thing. Just to clarify, though, I, I'm not sure the players are getting into these events on the basis of PIP rankings. I think that 20 is a will be. So 20, 20, be 20 sure? spots. Sure yeah. So 20, 20 spots will be ring fence for this sort of elevated series where they will be essentially mandated to play in 13 of the elevated events and three others of their choosing. Um, because for someone like Fowler, he's the example of someone who yeah. engages quite highly on the pit, but because he's ranked outside the top 100 in the world, question marks as to whether he'd only get into those events for which he is actually eligible based on world ranking. Yeah, that's correct. So, so it's not a free Fowler pass. Would, no, but, but I wouldn't, but then, I wouldn't yeah. dive into the, to the facts yeah. on this because I think the facts are, are out there. People can go out and, and find them, you know if they want to find them. What, let's, what do you think about all this? What do you think about um, the fact that the PGA Tour and Jay Monaghan has reacted the way that he has? Do you think it's the right thing to do? Do you think he's just basically knee-jerking the whole thing? What do, you, um, what do you think? Well, I think it's had to happen, but you've summed it up there, Tom. Like It's reactive. It's, it's totally reactive and doesn't seem particularly fresh or original um who knows i mean time will tell as to whether it's a you know they're positive changes but um yeah no one no one could be you know saying that pj pj tour should be winning prizes for originality and creative thinking the the greatest kind of um signal to me is that all those stories about why the pga tour couldn't expand and increase prize funds and increase some of the incentives and um you know stuff like the pip for example all that just seems to be complete bollocks because they've done it overnight you know and, yeah, and i think the that's cash. the real concern they just they just found it they've literally just found it as soon as it was a threat and i the idea that all that money is just locked out of the game i mean I, I, until live golf came along doesn't seem to me to be a particularly satisfactory answer so um, I mean, that's the story I think needs to be told is like, why is it that Jay Monahan's been raking in somewhere between seven and $14 million for the last, I don't know, five years or since he's been commissioner. That's, you know, widely est estimated to be, I mean, in fact, some of it's publicly available information. So it's not, it's not estimated. It's fact, but in and around, you know, the range of $7 million to $14 million, he's probably the most highly, um, paid commissioner in american sports based on the actual revenue which the pga tour generates i mean he he kind of outweighs uh nba and um nfl mlb equivalents i'd love to see the statistics i bet you jay monaghan earns more than the average pga wage yeah I, i'd, I'd wager yeah that. yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean I mean, what's the average take-home on PGA Tour for your average carded player? It'd be sub $3 million, would be my guess. But that's not the story, is it? Because, again, no. he's creating value for all the players. So I don't think... But is he creating value? No, that's the argument, isn't it? Like, I don't think he, I don't think he has been adding value. I mean, I'd I wonder what sort of... I'd be really interested to just see how that whole conversation had flowed, seeing these lit events that live unfold. Mm. And just then seeing him go, we're going to have to find, we're going to have to find like $200 million here out of nowhere, guys. No problems. We've got it. 
it's in yeah. a contingency fund which is how i think people like davis love the third have kind of spun it and said look we've got these we've got these reserves we've been very prudent and now's the time to deploy the heavy artillery begs the question if that is true then they've got maybe one year maybe two at best to kind of hope that sticks and then you know stops the leaky bucket well, otherwise there's a yeah. danger that you know because it, it, it's un, it, it, if that is the case it's unsustainable and if it is sustainable then you know there's what probably they've been doing all this trend. time yeah exactly what they've been doing that money because you know i'm guessing they're not taking the money out of all the charitable stuff that the money goes into i'm guessing those haven't gone to zero overnight just to just to increase the purses did you hear the phil mickelson burn the other day it was brilliant he was on a, like a, uh, an interview with Liv, and he was like, you know, oh, I just think Liv is, I mean, he was on his, his Liv rhetoric as he does. He's like, oh, I just think Liv is just great for the game. It's just changing the game in every way. And, you know, it's really it's really good that, that players are now earning more money in the PGA Tour. It's really good that they've magically found $200 million. You know, you can't just literally <laughs> just dropped it in. Like, have they magically found $200 million and carried on without even breaking sweat? It was like so good. It's sad that you know, you know, Mickelson's really the big casualty in all this. Um, well, hang uh, on, uh, I'm not sure casualty is necessarily the right the right word there because he, you know, he's not conducted himself in the most upstanding way. I think it's a shame. But he that, wouldn't be alone in that, would he? You know, he wouldn't be alone in that. Well, yeah, but I think he, he was a ringleader, wasn't he? Ultimately, I, and this is where I feel really conflicted, actually, because. You know, I don't, I don't feel enamoured at all with Liv and the people who've gone over there. And I remember, you know, go back to 150th Open, the rumours that Liv was, um, Smith was going to go to Liv imminently. It was just like, oh, champion golf of the year, he's going to Liv. This all just feels a bit fake. And like, this is the oldest and most treasured mm. trophy in our sport. And it's just like, you know, it's not, uh, it's surely, is that not going to resonate with the number two player in the world as he was then enough to stop him going over to just, you know, an event or a tour that just is driven above all. And I still believe this to be the case driven above all by kind of greed and money. Um, I, so I do, I do feel pretty um, miffed about, about the way things have gone. And, and I, I don't feel that comfortable with sporting live, but at the same time, it's like the PGA tour just seems to have been so incompetent. It's not and, itself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like re again, just like, you know, the impression I think we all get is that players have been pleading with Monaghan and others at the PGA tour to reform it for a number of years and they've not listened. And so it's just like, you know, the lesser of two evils almost at this point. Um, I think it's crazy. I think it's interesting how the, the governing bodies have almost stepped back from it a little bit as well. So, you know, the, there was quite a bit of pressure on, if you remember, quite early doors for, the, for them to sort of come out and say, well, you know, your major exemptions are gone. So, you know, you can't, you can't join Live and then turn up at the majors. They've, been, they've abstained pretty heavily on that. Also strange how DP mm. World Tour has remained fairly, <sighs> all the strategic alliance nonsense. They have stayed they've kind of abstained from a little bit of that i think Who, dp world tour a little bit do you know well, no they're 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 clear on their argument live players cannot play in their events the only thing that's preventing that from being enforced at the moment the is that there are up yeah up, uh, ongoing court appeals and they had a very different outcome in the interim sort of judgment to what the pga tour had so yeah they've been a bit aggressive on the uh, bmw stuff haven't they it's going to start obviously this week on th or thursday well thursday for them because they've been told categorically not to 
not to play in the Pro-Am on Wednesday and that um, they won't feature in any of the featured groups that's going to be on, going to be televised on Sky and, and everywhere else in the world. So, um I mean, they think, like, the weirdest part about this is, like, like there's no getting around this now. The, the live at the moment they went across, the live world rankings are, are quite strong now. They're much stronger than DP World Tour in terms of, like, their top 20 and what they can get out there. And the live guys are having to go and play in on the Asian tour just to try and get some world rankings. And the reality is that I'm not sure, for me, I'm not sure how long they can continue to be ignored if you've got people like Cam Smith, DJ, Kepka, you know, DeChambeau. They're playing on the live tour. The, I don't think the sport can afford for these people just to disappear off the map and not be in majors. Like OWGR, I know Peter Dawson's involved with that, running that now, and I'm sure they're scratching their heads all over the show about what they're going to do. But I, you just can't ignore those players. I think the problem it hasn't is, ended yet. The more players are going to go. But I think fundamentally, there's a problem now, which is how do we know who the best players in the world are because they're not playing against one another. Mm. That that's the fundamental issue that I don't see how the official world golf ranking can be expected to solve it because if the you're Asian saying that Cam Smith that. and Dustin Johnson are not going to meet Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy apart from four events per year, well, how can you do a well, world think... golf ranking on the basis of, of those four events? And uh, you know, how can you do a world golf ranking and say, well, Cam Smith went over to live ranked number four in the world? That should adjust the strength of field accordingly because you know all players go through peaks and troughs. Mm. DJ was not the player when he moved over to live that he was two years ago when he was winning every single FedEx cup event by 50 shots. Like, you know, when he went on that run and won the FedEx cup by a country mile, um, won the masters comfortably as well. And then has a massive sort of decline in form relative to those earlier standards the following year. It's just, that is the, the insurmountable problem. I think for the official world golf ranking is you are not going to have the best players playing against one another. Well, I think that makes it even more important that they do play together four times a year. Cause it's almost like a calibration. You know, it's it, that, that is how they calibrate. They play against each other four times a year and they work out, okay, well this person finished above that person. So and can you can imagine kind of reset? That? go again Can you imagine if that was the case with four events that the rankings would be nuts like you'd have guys that have come through qualifying in the u.s open that would yeah. be all of a sudden catapulted into you know kind of exempt exempt status but i mean look there is no getting away from it any duplicity first first live event the centurion we finished second didn't he from memory or something like that yeah. you know the the whole makeup of those events has changed. That performance is significantly stronger in today's live world than it was several weeks ago. So there has to be something that accounts for that strength of field and the relative loss of the strength of the field in other areas. And it can't be the fact that they play these kind of 14 events with live and then disappear off and grind away on the Asian tour for a few weeks. And that's going to keep them into the world top 50. It's just not going to be possible. Also their rankings are plummeting. So, you know, it's creating headroom and probably some false, you know, false rankings for players, you know, further down the pecking order that are playing principally in the US. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's this really hard. I, you know, I started this is why this was brought yeah. in though. You know, it was brought in as a, as a metric to try and work out who the best players in the world are. And a key assumption there is that those players are going to play against one another to use your common refrain mills. The, the danger with the uh, four majors being the yardstick is that it's too small a sample size. 
Mm. Yeah, but they're uh, not going to have any more. The, the, the four is the maximum they're ever going to have, isn't it? Unless they start doing some something, you know, which amalgamates the tours, but they're never going to get any more than four, and they doesn't even look like they're going to get four. I, I, I don't. I don't well, know. Because of the murmurings now, but, aren't they? Um, you know, Bubba Watson and and Phil have obviously been asked about whether they anticipate they'll be going to Augusta next year. I mean, all eyes are on Augusta National, really. They're the ones who are going to probably set the tone for what the majors decide. Um, How much of the PGA Tour uh, do you think hangs on Rory's shoulders now? Because <laughs> the whole thing, you know, I, when you when you take Rory away from from PGA Tour and you look at what's left. The makeup of the players is not vastly different to the, the the kind of the top forty playing live right. Like it's not massively different in terms of names, brands, impact. You know, you got really big brands into their own right, like DJ Deshambo playing live. You know, Rory's. I feel like the glue at the moment. Now he's a generational player, but Rory's probably not going to be. Rory's not going to be winning tour championships in five, six years' time, would be my guess. Oh, hang on, mate. I wouldn't rhyme off that quickly. <laughs> so, I don't know. He's No, but he's been... No, but to be fair, mate, he's been at the absolute top end of the game for a long time. Like, he's a generational player, isn't he? Yeah, he's 33. He can't, he can't hang on to that forever, can he? Like, that's just, that's just a, a fact of life. Mm. My, my question is five, almost... five, six years. Okay, maybe that's a touch rash. But... At some point, someone's going to have to step into that void. Rory's an enormous brand. Do you think Rory is as vehemently against Liv as he makes out? Yeah, I think, think so. I think when it gets to the point that you're saying that much stuff in public to, you know, with the intensity that he's been saying, I mean, there was even a, I think there was a clip posted online uh excerpt from his tour championship press conference where he talked about how he's you know he really wasn't going to look be looking forward to uh seeing those 12 players from live coming over and playing the bmw at wentworth this coming week and he's like yeah i'm going to find that really difficult to stomach actually you know just went above and beyond mm. the, the the kind of classic answer that a journalist is probably looking for in that in that in that um in that moment um yeah, I think he's just been, you know, he's never, never indulged the Saudi stuff. Never, even when it was Saudi International on the European Tour, just didn't indulge it. You know, didn't want to go and play it. Um, yeah, I, I think he's... Do you think a lot of this is driven by his position on on the PGA Tour? And, you know, in his capacity is... He's too big to go. Yeah, he's too big to go. And it's the same with Hideki, isn't it? It's like there's a few players that almost transcend that ability to, to hop over and take a deal like that because they're, they're, they're almost, well, they are too big to do it. It's like, there's too much power in their hands. What you do know, you mean well, I suppose, you know, like it, I think it's, I think it's quite obvious that Rory is, is in a compromised position where he just, he's, he physically couldn't take an offer. Even if it was a, you know, 10 figures from live, he couldn't take that. He couldn't take that deal. But what? But why? I'm not sure. I'm not quite clear on why. That's. Do you think that's the case? Because it would be absolute. Well, because Mickelson's a generational player. Like Mickelson is the best player of the last thirty years. Bar but I one don't man. think Mickelson has always is is the same spokesman for the sport that maybe Rory is. You know, the same could be said. You know, Tiger. You know, 
moves the needle bigger than the game transcends it all we've, we've heard all the superlatives same again applies to tiger you know in the far east hideki's got a huge amount on his shoulder with the game as well there it's almost like they're just too i don't know how best to say it other than the fact that i just think they're almost too big to to make that kind of huge call do do you think um rory's uh aggression against live and and you know the fact he's so so against it is to do with the saudi regime and where the money has come from or do you think it's purely a fact of it's a split it's basically dismantling the pga tour i think it's the latter for sure i've never heard him say anything about the money i don't think about what the saudi money and the amount of money i don't think i've really heard him say a huge amount I wouldn't be so quick to write that off. I wouldn't be so quick to write off his um, moral issues that he has with it. Um, you know, by all accounts, not that I've really spent any appreciable time with him whatsoever, but by all accounts, he's a sort of deeply conscientious and, and um, nice person to to kind of speak with and interact with. Um, you know, he obviously, there's, there's a fair amount of... Um, evidence out there to suggest like he does gen genuinely enjoy kind of like reading and discussing politics. Um, he's big into his sort of stoic philosophy as well. He's a big fan of like Ryan holiday, Ryan holiday's work, you know, he's invested in whoop and self care. Um, he's a fairly deep thinker, I think as well about, about, um, just, just various issues. You I mean, there's pictures of him having breakfast with Bill Clinton and all sorts of stuff. He's quite, I think he's probably quite a well-read person. Um, and he enjoys taking on that role of being spokesman for the game. And, um, you know, he's just, I think he just really conducts himself well. I honestly do. And I, I think, you know, he, he'd feel a huge amount of disloyalty if he was just to abandon the tour that gave him a huge platform and allowed him to succeed to the point that he's at now. I think that would just really, you know, be quite jarring in its own right. But also there's definitely impl implications there about, the source of the money, um, the fact that it's funded by the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's the kind of person who's just pretty self-absorbed and only concerned by money. I think. I wonder in, in, in general, what would be the reaction to all this? If it was like sponsored by, or the money came from Haribo. You know, like it's about like Haribo. if they just if Haribo just have sex. Where have you like, pulled that from? Are they on your desk or something at the moment, Haribo? No, I was just thinking it's like the least offensive company I could think of. But like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like if the, all the money came from like I don't know selling teddy bears, whether you'd get the same reaction to all this, and whether it's just like a resistance to change rather than yeah, um, no. you know, because I, I seriously feel like a lot of this stuff is just like. It is just like the ultimate. I just, I like my PJ tour. I like my 72 holes. I just, I just want to stay. No, I, I do. Like, yeah, I agree. I totally agree that the, there's no doubt the PJ tour is, is operating solely to protect its monopoly. So that's the, I think that's the, the driving point here is it's, you know, that they have an absolute monopoly on the upper echelon of the game. And it's, you know, okay. You know, live just happened to be in a position where they can fund it through, you know, a means which allows them to compete at least. No one else has got that privilege open to them. You know, therefore that money attracts a bit of adverse, well, a lot of adverse PR and probably quite rightly so. But, yeah. um, you know, there's no doubt that 
the PGA Tour's interest to quash live comes solely from a from a standpoint of competition and 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 commanding a market share that that they have. That's that's there's no getting away from it. I mean, it does leave the whole game in a, in a real strange place though. Presidents Cup obviously coming up soon. You know, you, you're looking at you know. I mean, you could pretty much handicap the international players. You could, you could give them, you could, you could peg them off a couple of shots better um, to compete. I mean, they're, they're going to be completely and utterly outgunned, aren't they, against the US side? Because now that you know, the half well, when you take out someone players, like Cam Smith and yeah, yeah, it's, that's I hard. mean, Neiman though as well, yeah. whacking Neiman, Neiman, talked about him, who's Tazen? You know, these these people are you know that are no longer able to play in that event which is really the kind of, you know, outside of Europe. And, you know, it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's an insanely good, good event. I don't think we really get behind it because we have the Ryder Cup. You know, it's still interesting to watch, but it's not, you know, it's just it not It was great to watch like. at Royal Melbourne a few years yeah, ago. It was course. great to watch. I think, um, for me, what will be the interesting moment will be as we go into the winter months and the PGA Tour circuit typically quietens down and actually lives schedule is going to be ramping up a little bit i think and seeing whether there's any competition for views there and whether we find ourselves thinking oh okay you know the live grand finals coming up in saudi arabia let's flick it on and see who's playing because mm. you know the field there is in all likelihood going to be far far stronger than those guys teeing it up at the dp world tour finale at, um you know dubai uh where is it the emirates at dubai not the emirates sorry the uh Jumeirah course at dubai um i think that's where it could get quite juicy but because there's the you know there's, it, it feels like live there is going to have a better product in that moment but uh, you know at the moment the 54 hole shotgun start when that's put up against the tour championship or um, you know, some of the other top tier PGA tour events, it just, it just feels a bit, um, a bit of a non-event to live stuff. Really, I would I almost argue that the tour championship is as good as I think live could ever hope to be because the tour championship was good. It was a great event this year. It's great. You know, Rory going toe to toe with Scott Scheffler. That was insane. Um, I, I quite, I quite enjoy that event for what it's worth. But there isn't really that much provenance to it. You know, really, it is an exercise in handing out huge checks to players. So mm. I, I look at it and think, well, actually, I almost think the best case for Liv is that they could end up with a series of events that are really kind of akin to a tour, champ tour championship, you know? Um, yeah. And a lot of the I great stories of some, you know, rank outsider making a run and, and all of a sudden coming tearing through the field and giving someone a, a run for it. I mean, Tagala was kind of that guy, really, at the start of the, start of the season at the, the Phoenix the waste management Phoenix and all of a sudden goes on and has a great PGA tour career. But at the time, no one really, you know, everyone was like, Oh, this is a bit of an unknown. Like where's he kind of come from? And as you yeah, say, yeah, if you've yeah. got a limited, limited field events, just it's hard to see that happening in the same way. Just while we're talking about your championship, do we feel like the format was somewhat validated this year with, you know, having the handicap system and someone that wasn't, in uh, starting 10 shots ahead has gone on to win it. And I mean, the fact that yeah. Rory started triple bogey bogey on his first round and he's already a zillion shots back is actually relatively impressive that he's gone on to do it. But do we feel like the format is somewhat vindicated 
because I think it works. Yeah, I think it totally works there. If I'm being brutally honest, my you know the the memory of Justin Rose winning the Tour Championship, or not? No, in fact, didn't win the Tour Championship. Tiger winning the Tour Championship, but then Rose winning that FedEx. Do you remember that was almost like such a strange sort of event, or certainly strange sort of victory for Rose in so much as he didn't win the event, but took home the the FedEx. That whole thing just feels weird a little bit. So I, I get it. I get why they do it. They want to have this big season finale. For me, definitely does work. Certainly worked this year. Like that was amazing. But they never seem to guarantee that. And most of the times I've seen it, it tends to be one at a bit of a, a bit of a march, doesn't it? You know, I think, you know, Cantor and DJ won it quite comfortably, haven't they, in, in recent memory? Well, no, actually, you know, the, the first time though, the, the, the first time, um, they gave this this format a go. McRoy won in 2019, the year after, you know, you mentioned there when Justin Rose won the season-long race, but Tiger won the Tour Championship. They debuted it. McElroy started like four under, I think, and then shot, um, I think, 12 under for the, for the four days, ended up, um, or 13 under for the four days, ended up 17 under total. Um, it's played into his hands again. I mean, uh, you know, it's obviously no great surprise, but I think that kind of format plays really well into, into McElroy because he can just keep going without fear of really holding on to a lead. It's no surprise that both, both of those occasions, 2019 and this year, yeah. he's ended up winning because he's just kind of been so far back. He's almost like the shackles are off. Then he can just, just go firing at pins and, 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 Posting the best numbers he can, really. There's no, I mean, it seems like there's no fear. Yeah, I mean, Scheffler's obviously the best player this season. I kind of feel like though, the the I would enjoy it more. I think, I think it would be treated like a major more if they the the thirty they got into it, and it's like you know you go through the whole season and you go through the the postseason and you get to the thirty, and instead of it being like a oh, Rose can win if he if he finishes fifth or better or this person's handicapped by 10 shots because they did this. I just think if they all just started flat and like, right, 30 guys, you've made it. Well done. Now go for it. Like gloves are off. Just fight. Whoever wins, wins. I would be so much more interested. I think if they all yeah, start but... from scratch, everyone had a chance to win and just go <sighs> for it. I get it. But then, you know, where would that leave? You know, I mean, there's a few guys in there. But they, that they've earned nothing money like in the, the season, season. Haven't they? They've earned plenty yeah, of, of money in the season. I get why the PGA Tour wants to have it, though. Like, in lieu of having a major of their own or anything, I get why they want to have some sort of crowning moment for the best player of the season. Amazingly, the great thing about this year is that Scotty Scheffler's had, without doubt, you know, the most insane season um, in the game. Where he's come from at the start of the year to now, you know, what he's picked up on the way, it's truly remarkable. But also, like, you forget just how good a season Rory's had. Like, his, his, you know his performance has been mind-bendingly good this year, almost as good as he's ever played, actually. It just hasn't quite worked in the major championship world. Like, we saw that thing that Justin Thomas put out before, um, you know, kind of recapping on his year goals at the end of the Tour Championship. And it was really interesting seeing how he had put, just one of his goals was just to, you know, win an event. And it's like, yeah, you forget that these guys who are that good in the world, like, that's a realistic goal for them. So, you know, okay, Rory didn't win a major this year and no doubt he wanted to more than anything else. But there's no getting away from the fact just how bloody good Rory's been this year. And I think sometimes we use mm. the majors as a bit of a benchmark as to whether it's been a success or a fail. But I, I, I get it. I know what you mean, Mills. Like you kind of start them off on 11 play, level playing field. 
but I don't know. Well, on that note, I think it's a nice way to almost come full circle on the topic of this pod because, um, you know, McElroy's obviously taken home, what is it, $18 million for winning the tour championship there. Um, maybe you're going to correct me and tell me someone did ask him, but the, the, the great question in the context of the live discussion we've been having is having so far is would he trade that $18 million for a major in 2022? The answer is probably almost certainly yes. Yeah. I think I can answer on his behalf there, Bruce. Yeah, he would. That's, that's easy when you've got plenty of money. That is the great irony of, of the tour championship and what the PGA tour is kind of <laughs> set out to do is that, you know, their talisman, their, the best player this season, the generational talent, as you quite, right, quite rightly point out, Sam, he'd have probably given all of that money up if he could have just had a major to his name. A few more putts at St. Andrews on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey. Just quickly, because we've just, like, we've talked about loads of stuff today, but what about shorts? <laughs> uh-huh. We're not doing this. We're not playing this game. You're not goading me. Yeah, I, I, I um, I'm not playing these silly games. I'm unsure, I mean, really. Just going to leave it there. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to put it out there. I'm just going to put it out there. If you like it, take it. If you don't, do what you like with it. Pair of long socks. I'm just like, who would, cares? Wouldn't miss. We've yeah. already said, like, we've called in the teams, the crushers, the nibblicks, the ironheads. It's like, who the who the hell cares if they're wearing shorts now? <laughs> the game's gone so far away from where it was. It's yeah. like, Jesus. Yeah, I, I find it, yeah, it's just like pick your battles though, isn't it? It's like if you really think, for Liv, it's like, yeah, we might as well because it's just a cheap shot, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a fine, fair enough one. It's like, yeah, and you know what? We're also better than PGA Tour because you can wear shorts here. We <laughs> And I'm, probably all the players are like, you know what? It's not a game changer for me, actually. The fact that I can't wear shorts on the PGA Tour isn't going to be enough of an incentive to push me over to Liv. But who knows? <laughs> That's just my take. But it's only a matter of time before, like Greg Norman does a like a focus group, but then with a bunch of random golfers, a bunch of random non-golfers, where they're like, "How do we get people into the game?" And half the focus group come back, we're like, "Oh well, Brooks Kepka's pretty jacked. It'd be quite good to see him playing topless." He's like, "That's a great idea." We get him topless to see all the ideas to be thunders. That would be good. I would, I would watch that actually. Pat Perez less so. Could you imagine Pat Press playing topless? And on that bombshell, until next time. Thank you very much for tuning in. Adios. Watch this.